On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And then Jesus appears to Thomas. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, was one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, <coughs> we have seen the Lord. <coughs> but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them then. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. <clears throat> Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And the purpose of John's gospel, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Martin. Um, good evening, everyone. Hope you are doing all right and not too warm. Um, it is very warm here. Um, usually I'm on a medium-sized headset, but this week I'm on a small one, which suggests that I've sweated so much that I've lost a head size. And I don't even know how that's possible, but apparently I've managed to see that, so hopefully it will warm up a little bit and my head will inflate to its usual size. But in, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's going to be warm, so I'll try and pay attention to my notes this time, <laughs> rather than uh, freestyling, but I've already gone off them. Um, this evening we're going to be concluding our series on John's Gospel. Um, in the morning services we've been looking at encounters with Jesus in John's Gospel, uh, and in the evening we've been looking at the I Am statements of Jesus. And through these talks we've heard verses 30 and 31, which is going to be the focus of our talk this evening quite a few times. They say Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So we're going to look a little bit more at these verses. Uh, we're not going to exposit them in full detail. Um, theologian Don Carson says to expound in every detail each word and phrase of verse 31 would be to expound the entire Gospel of John. And that is probably a bit too much to ask for 20 minutes on a warm summer's evening. But I think there are three things that we can pull out from John's gospel, and three layers that John wants us to read his gospel at, three things that he wants to communicate. And I think he wants us, he wants to show us who Jesus is, he wants us to know who Jesus is, and he wants us to grow in our walk with Jesus. So that's where we're going to be going this evening. 
But let's pray before we start. Lord God, we thank you for John's gospel and we thank you for his faithful witness. We pray now that as we look at your word and try and understand what it means for us today and try and hear what you have to say for us, would you speak clearly to each one of us? Would you help me as I speak and help us as we listen that we may hear your voice clearly this evening? Amen. So we'll start by thinking about John showing us who Jesus is, um, which is the first and most basic level where you can read John's gospel is simply as a biography of sorts. John was likely the last of the four gospels to be written, and it's got a very different style to the other three gospels and a slightly different purpose. The other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are known as the synoptic gospels, and each have a different purpose for being written. Matthew was writing primarily to a Jewish audience, wanting them to understand that Jesus was the promised Messiah from Jewish history. He starts with Jesus' Jewish ancestry, and he makes many references to Old Testament um, quotations and to prophecies that Jesus fulfills. Mark's gospel was more focused towards the Gentiles, particularly in Rome, wanting them to understand that although Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, he came for everybody. Luke's purpose as a doctor and as a historian was to provide a detailed account, an orderly account of what happened in the life of Jesus, focusing on dates and names and places and putting detail in so that we could understand the life of Jesus. And it's likely that when John was writing his gospel, he would have been aware of these other three gospels. And we can see this in some of the material he chooses to put in, and in particular in some of the material he chooses not to put in. There's no mention in John's gospel of Jesus' birth narrative. There's no mention of the transfiguration. There's no naming explicitly of who Jesus' 12 disciples are. Instead, John seems to assume that his audience is familiar with these. And instead, he focuses in on particular scenarios, particular situations that happens. In the morning services, we looked at some of these incidents where Jesus meets with Nicodemus, when Jesus meets with the Samaritan woman at the well, when Jesus meets the woman accused of adultery, when Jesus meets with the blind man, when Jesus interacts with the Pharisees. Throughout all of these, we see intimate details of these one-to-one -one encounters that Jesus has. We also get extended teaching with Jesus. John verses, uh, chapters 13 to 18, almost or over a quarter of the book, is dedicated to essentially a single sermon of Jesus given after the Last Supper and before his arrest. Jesus' ministry covers around three and a half years, and yet John's gospel talks around only 20 of these days. We know that we haven't got everything that Jesus ever did. John 20 verse 30 tells us this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. And the very last verse of John's gospel, John 21 verse 25, says that Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And although this is hyperbole, it gives us an idea of just how much there could have been that John could have written about. So one of my favorite film series is the Lord of the Rings films. I really love those films. And I remember one time I was um, at my aunt and uncle's house and they had the films on in the background, but they had scenes in it that I hadn't seen before. And this was because I hadn't realized that 
Um, three three-hour films apparently weren't long enough, and they actually produced extended editions with additional scenes put in to the film. And I really enjoyed watching these additional scenes and seeing these additional parts of the film world that I really loved. Sometimes when I read John 21, verse 25, I feel like I'd really love to see the extended edition of John's gospel to find out all of these things that John just didn't have time to record. But also one thing that you notice when you see these extended editions is that you see that although there is additional stuff in there, it is, you can understand in a way why it's been cut from the original theatrical release. Because the original theatrical release in a nice, tight, nine-hour experience tells you the whole story that Peter Jackson wanted us to see. And likewise with here, in John's Gospel, John has curated the things that he's written down, the experiences, the signs that Jesus has performed, the words that he said. He's picked the ones that he really wants us to know. And he's written it in very simple language in some way. I've not verified this, but apparently the Greek that John wrote in only has about 600 different Greek words. It's certainly 600 Greek words more than I know, but apparently when you're learning ancient Greek, one of the first things that you might be asked to do is translate bits of John's gospel because the Greek is so comparatively simple. John is writing in simple language because he wants everybody to understand and know these things. And so if you've never encountered Jesus before, if you don't really know very much about him, then why not start by looking at John's gospel? 21 chapters, about two hours of material, where you can see the things that John really thought were important for us to understand about who Jesus is. So one thing that John wants us to do is to show us Jesus. But he doesn't want us to stop there. He doesn't want us to stop with treating the gospel as a mere biography. But he also wants us to know Jesus and to believe in him. And this is where the first part of our passage this evening comes in. We see after Jesus' death, the disciples gathered together in a room and Jesus appearing to them. And then after Jesus has appeared to them, they speak to Thomas, who isn't there. And Thomas doesn't believe what they've seen. In verse 25 of our passage, he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He has a list of things that he knows that he would need to see in order to believe in Jesus. He often gets the moniker of doubting Thomas, but you can understand his confusion when he doesn't fully understand who Jesus came to be as the other disciples didn't before their encounter with Jesus. And so a week later, the disciples and Thomas are together and Jesus appears to them again. Jesus stands before them, says, peace be with you, and then invites Thomas to put his finger into his hands, to put his hand into his side and to believe. And it's interesting that in John's account, Thomas isn't recorded as doing these. He isn't recorded as doing the things that he said that he needed to do in order to believe. He merely confesses in verse 28, my Lord and my God. Thomas had a list of things that he was sure that he needed to know in order to put his faith in Jesus. But in fact, when he has this encounter with the risen Christ, it is all that he needed. 
In verse 29, Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And John immediately segues from this into verses 30 and 31, where he talks about the purpose of his gospel before going back to continue to talk about other experiences people have with Jesus. And I think this is significant, the positioning of these verses. You might consider this as potentially an introduction to John's gospel, but instead he's put it here. He's likely writing towards the end of his life, um, and John was the only one of the 12 disciples to not be martyred for his faith. All the other 11 died for what they believed. And John may well have been aware at this point that those who had had this physical experience with Jesus were dying out while Christianity was exploding all across the world. In verse 24 of chapter 21, John says, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. And he wants to testify. He wants us to know what he has seen and experienced for himself. And in so choosing the items that he's put into his gospel, he wants us to know and to believe who Jesus is. Some of us here this evening, we may know about Jesus, but we may not yet have taken that step, that step of putting our trust and our faith in him. And the question I'd have for you this evening, if that's you, is why not? You may still have questions that you're asking, things that you don't yet understand. And these are great, it's great to be asking questions. And I'd encourage you, if you have these questions, to be asking them to wise Christian friends you know, maybe coming along to an Alpha course and having the opportunity to ask them yourself. But you might find as you ask these questions that actually these questions, although you don't necessarily have all the answers, they aren't stopping you from coming to Jesus. You may feel like you just don't know enough about Jesus. And again, I'd encourage you to come to the Gospels to meet Jesus for yourself. And it doesn't matter if you're reading the Gospel for the first time or the hundredth time. There's always more in there for us to see and to know. And you may find that when you really think about it and when you're really honest with yourself, there's actually nothing that's stopping you from coming to Jesus. And if that's you tonight, I'd encourage you to take that step of belief and to come to believe in Jesus. But finally this evening, John doesn't just want us to believe in Jesus, although he does want that. But he also, in verse 31, wants us to, by believing, have life in Jesus' name. And for many of us who are Christians here, and maybe who have been for a while, I think this is the thing that God really wants to speak to us today about. A Christian walk is never intended to be a mere academic, intellectual exercise. But the words that we read in John's Gospel are intended to be life-bringing and life-giving. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly and have it to the full. When some people are following Jesus and abandoning him, he turns to his disciples and asks them if they're going to leave too. And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And these words that Jesus offer are words of true life. And they're inviting us to have life in his name. And this is important as well. I think this is where people who espouse the prosperity gospel get it wrong. 
when they think that Jesus is just here to bring us material wealth and health and happiness. That's life in our name. That's the life that we want. But God wants so much more than that for us. He wants us to have life in his name. He wants us to be partners together with him in building the kingdom of heaven on earth. And the words that we read in John's gospel invite us into that life. The I am statements that we've looked at over the evening services over the past few months are life-giving words. Jesus is the bread of life and the true vine, reminding us that Jesus sustains us and grows us daily. Jesus is the light of the world and Jesus is the good shepherd, reminds us that Jesus guides us, even though we occasionally wander in the darkness or like sheep turn astray. Jesus is the gate and Jesus is the way and he is the gate and the way. He is the only way for us to be saved. And Jesus is the life, the resurrection and the life and Jesus is the only source of life. And we may be familiar with these I am statements and in so doing, we may just hear them and let them wash over us and not fully understand the impacts that this should be having every day on our life and on our walk as Christians. I think it's very easy sometimes to get drawn into what's almost a Hollywoodization of our walk with Jesus. You'll all have seen the films, you'll have seen the, the traditional template, you know, boy meets girl, boy and girl go on adventures, experiences together, boy and girl draw closer together, boy realizes the girl is actually the ring of power and needs to be thrown into the Mount Doom. That may just be one film, but in other films, that's kind of where it ends. It ends at the point where the relationship starts. And I think for us sometimes, when we talk about our testimony and our journey with Christ, we can be vulnerable to the same thing. We can talk about our life before Christ. We can talk about the moment when we first come to faith. And then we just kind of blur over the rest of it. I'm sure any of you who've been in a relationship for an extended period of time know that there's so much more depth to happen in that happily ever after period afterwards. And I think it's important that we don't just think that once we've believed in Jesus, once we've put our faith in him, that that's it, that that's where it stops. That's just the start of the journey. It's the first chapter in a very, very long book where God wants to grow us and help us to experience life in his name. And so for some of us who have been Christians for a while, we may find that our steps are tiring. Our quiet times might be drifting. Our excitement around God is dwindling. And I think it's important for us to recognize the life that we're invited into through faith in Jesus and the life that John invites us into in his Gospels. So if that's us, if that's any of us tonight, I'd encourage you again to come back to the Gospels, to come back to God with fresh eyes, to come and hear these words and not just let them wash over us, not just hear them and let them go in one ear and out the other, but understand the true power and the true life that God wants to offer us. And so wherever we are in our walk with God, we can always go further, and God is always wanting to do more with us. God loves us far too much to leave us where we are, and there's always more that God wants to reveal to us. So maybe if we're Christians here tonight, we might want to give God the time and the space to speak to us this evening and this week. Um, there are lots of ways we can be doing that. Um, 
maybe in conversations with people afterwards, you can be asking them what they do in their times with God. Or if you haven't got um, a regular time with God yet, you can ask for advice on what you could be doing, on ways you can be engaging with God better. And so as we come to close, um, I'd like to move us as we come right to the end of our series on John. I'd like to take us right back to the start of John's gospel. He's put his introduction at the end, so I feel like I'm allowed to do this. What I'd like to do is read some words that probably to us are quite familiar. Um, The first few verses of John that we often hear every year at Christmas. But I want to read them in a slightly different translation in the hope that this helps us to hear them afresh, to not just recognize the words and let them, and just, um, yeah, not hear what they're saying, but instead really let them impact us and let God speak to us through them. And I've picked the Easy English Bible translation, which is a translation that writes um, the Bible in the 3,000 most common English words. So it's very simple language it's intended to be. And so would you stand with me as I read these? And as I read them, would you pretend that you're hearing them for the first time and allow God to really speak to you through them? The word became human. In the beginning, the word was already there. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God from the beginning. God made all things through the word. God did not make anything without him. It is the word who caused everything to live. Because of this, he has brought light to all people. The light shines in the dark and the dark cannot put out the light. God sent a man to bring his message. His name was John. He came to tell people about the light. God wanted everyone to believe in the one who is the light. John himself was not that light. God sent him to tell people about the light. The true light gives light to every person. And that light was now coming into the world. The word was now in the world. God had made the world through him. But the people in the world did not know who he was. He came to the place that was his own, but his own people did not accept him. But some people did accept him. They did believe in him. He gave authority to those people to become God's children. They did not become God's children in the usual human way. They were not born because of what any people wanted. They were not born because of what any man decided. No, they were born from God. The word became a man. He lived among us. We saw how great and how good he is. He is great and good as only the father's one true son can be. He is completely kind. He speaks only what is true. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for these words of truth that we have heard in John's gospel. We thank you for you showing yourself to us through them. We thank you for the life that they can bring to us. And we pray that for each one of us here this evening, regardless of where we are in our walk with you, Would you help us to deepen 
that relationship? Would you speak to us with your words of life? Would you help us to know you more deeply and help us to follow you more closely? We're sorry for the times where we like sheep have gone astray, but we thank you that as the good shepherd, you lead us forward. We're sorry for the times when we've walked in the dark, but we thank you that you are the light of the world. We're sorry where we've drawn life from other places rather than drinking from your living water and feeding on your bread of life. We're sorry when we've tried to grow ourselves apart from you rather than being grafted in the true vine. We pray that you would help us to follow you as the way, the truth, and the life, as the gate by which we come in. We pray that you would bring us your resurrection and your life and help us in so doing to find true life in you. Let's take a couple of minutes in quiet just to listen to what God might have to say for us.